Hello, hello. Welcome back to Unfazed and Unbothered. I'm Camo. And I'm Lutasia. Hey, we're so. <laughs> so, today's episode, we are going to discuss health issues, trigger warning, eating disorders, and all things related. Um, so, Miss Tasty T, would you like to start us off, baby? Absolutely. So me and Camo were actually on the phone yesterday and we were just talking about how like when you don't feel confident in yourself, it's hard for you to like want to go out and do stuff and just be a normal human in society. Like when I don't feel my very best, I don't want to leave the house. And so every time that I've been pregnant, um, you know, considering I've had an eating disorder, for years on and off in a, in a way I used to have a really bad eating disorder when I was 17. And it's just, I can sit here and say that, yes, I've been free of that since then, but that's not necessarily true because even before I was pregnant with Prince, I wasn't eating enough and I was very underweight. Um, but with that being said, you know, I struggle really bad when I'm pregnant because, you know, I gained so much weight And even though that's normal, it still messes with my head. So I was telling Camo yesterday, I was like, I, it's hard for me to even want to leave the house right now because I'm pregnant. I'm gaining weight. I don't feel my best. It's hard for me to conversate with people. You know, I feel like people are like judging me the way that I'm judging myself. And it's like, it's never like that. It's never like that. Um, And so this is a perfect topic for the both of us and for other people, because I know that we're not the only ones that struggle with it. You've struggled with it. Um, And... It, it plays into our mental health as well. We both struggle with anxiety and depression. Even though I'm medicated, I still struggle with it every single day. Um, and it's hard for me to kind of put my brain where it needs to be and put it back on track when I'm feeling this way because until I am am happy with how I look, it's it's not going to be like that. Does that make sense? Well, so, when you have a lot of eyes on you, there's a, there's a lot of pressure and – even though I think you look fucking cute and gorgeous, the way you feel about yourself is different and and vice versa. I mean, I sometimes am very hard on myself and it's all in our head. But like you said, it's hard to conversate. Like there's many times when I'm not feeling my best and I'll be having a conversation and I can't engage because I'm more focused on what does my face look like right now? What does my body look like right now? Like, how are they perceiving me? Are they thinking this? And, you know, they probably aren't. They probably aren't. Most times not. We are our worst critics. um, But eating disorders are pretty common. I feel like a lot of people have them. I know now I look different. You guys have met me at a different place in my life. But a few years ago, I actually lost 120 pounds. And a lot of that stemmed from I was eating one time a day. I called it my one meal deal. (laughs) Not funny, but um, I would eat one thing a day. And um, then I got a little better about my eating. I would eat, you know, regularly, but I was very strict. I was so precise with like my calories to the point of obsession. And that's, that's, essentially how I got so small. I wouldn't allow myself to eat over 1500 calories. I would try to like stop at 1200, but 1500 was my max. And like, I would count 
to the T, I'd be like, oh, okay, I had a piece of cheese that was 70 calories. I had two eggs. That's 140 calories. So I'm at 210 right now. Um, I can't go much further than this, like for breakfast. And then I would have like a bag of broccoli. And it was it it was an obsession. And I've also been on the other side of it where I have an unhealthy relationship with food because I stress eat. And so you know, the past few years losing my mother and a toxic relationship I got out of and all the other circumstances going from working a regular job to having all these eyes on me. It did do things do things to me mentally. And so I was on the opposite side of the fence where I started binge eating. And that's also an eating disorder. I have a very unhealthy relationship with food. I always have. And I don't know, it's I think a lot of people struggle with it, but it's it's pretty normal, but it's not it, it people need to look into it and they really need to work on it because it's not good to starve yourself. It's not good to deprive yourself of the nutrients your body needs when you're not getting food, your brain cannot function properly, thus giving you more anxiety and it's just not healthy overall. And then binge eating either. Like it's not good for you because you're putting so much in your body. You're stretching your organs. You feel like shit. And then you regret it the next day. And then you beat yourself up. And then you try to starve yourself the next day. And it's just a back and forth. And ugh, I, I, I need to figure out a way to have just a healthy relationship with food where it's like I'm not counting calories like I used to, but I'm not overdoing it, you know? Exactly. One thing for me is during this pregnancy, for example, with Greenlee, I ate whatever I wanted to. Oh, yeah, girl. We were going to buffets every day. I wasn't lying. Golden Corral was our best friend. Literally. <laughs> and I was also eating, you know, meat and mm-hmm. I I haven't deprived myself of meat this pregnancy just because it's hard to kind of do that when you're pregnant. And also I've struggled with restless legs um, during this pregnancy, which I didn't struggle with with Greenlee. So it's been a little different. And so at first I was thinking that it was because I'm not eating meat. And so I eat fish and I eat chicken. Um, I don't want to eat any heavy meats like hamburgers and stuff like that because that is like probably the worst food that you can eat. Oh and girl, so, I love me a burger. But so, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And so this pregnancy, I've just tried my best to eat things that are good for my body. So whatever it is that I'm eating, it has to be beneficial. So for example, like I was telling you today at the coffee shop, instead of eating crackers, you know, Ritz crackers or saltine crackers, get whole grain crackers or, you know, get cereal like with fiber and protein, not sugared cereal, like just different things. And so I will say that I'm I'm trying my best not to beat myself up just because I've even had this conversation with my mom. Like, why am I struggling so bad with the weight gain when I know that it's normal and I know that it's healthy? I'm pregnant. That's going to happen. And especially because after I had Greenlee, I lost it. So why am I stressing about this? And my mom told me, she said, maybe you need to go talk to somebody because you literally obsess over it so much. And I don't really know what it is or why I obsess over it, but it it is sometimes it, it really is a lot to handle on my mind because I wake up. And that's the first thing I have to tell myself, like, we're not going to eat bad today. You know, eat things that are not only good for you, but for the baby and don't eat unhealthy stuff. Like, yes, obviously, like this morning I woke up and I wanted donuts, Mm -hmm. but I didn't get donuts because it's just a craving and eventually it passes. Yeah. 
but it is hard to, it's, it's so hard. It's like a battle with your mental health every day. Um, it is. But even before I got pregnant, I was very fit. Um, I was actually underweight and I didn't even know that until I went to the doctor and I was underweight. And so now I'm at a healthy weight and I'm like, oh, I'm fat. But even when I was underweight, I was still fat. So it's like, yeah. it's, it's just, it's a mental health issue. It's a chemical imbalance because it's not normal to feel this way. And sometimes I have to, even if I don't want to, my brain's telling me no, no, no. I have to tell myself, you have to eat. You have to eat healthy. You have to do these things so that you're not depriving you and the baby of things. But also, I don't think it's talked about enough when women go through pregnancy, how hard it is on you because you're literally, it's almost like you feel like you're, you're, you're stripped of your identity in a way, not in a bad way. Like obviously I'm blessed and I'm very grateful. Um, but what I mean by that is that you're changing mentally, um, physically, and you're preparing yourself for a new baby. And then you're also looking at this new body every single day for what, eight, eight, eight to nine months. And then after you had the baby, you're looking at your body like, oh my gosh. Like I remember after I had Greenlee, I looked at my body after I gave birth. I was like, what is this? Like yeah. your skin, your stomach skin's weird. Like it's crazy to even think about. But it obviously it goes, it, you, you lose the weight. It goes down. Yeah. But it's it's a constant battle every single day. And I'm so glad that we chose to talk on this topic because people still ask me, like, how did you overcome an eating disorder? And I don't really know if I have. You know, mm, even too. though even though I might not be um, as as like deep in it, deep in it, or like starving myself. Like before I was pregnant, I really I think I was eating once a day, and I didn't even realize. Yeah, because you get so used to doing it that you just forget. Well, what your you're doing. body stops requiring as well, not requiring, but it stops holding as much. Your stomach does shrink when you're not putting as much in it, so you tend to lose your appetite. And I think that's for me. That's how it like the one meal deal type of situation kind of worked because at first it was horrible, but then my body was just so used to it. But I remember I was always in like a, a mental fog and I didn't feel good, but I couldn't eat. Like I it got to the point where if I tried to eat more, I would get nauseous. And so that's not healthy. But even like you said, when you were smaller, you still felt fat. And I remember I, okay, so in high school, I was 270 pounds. Um, and then at my lowest, I got down to about 150. And I remember even when I was at 150, I was nothing but skin and bones. And people around me would, it was always like a topic of conversation about my you know, relationship with food, like they're, they'd be like, you're crazy. Like, why are you obsessing? And I'd be like, I'm fat. I'm fat. I had like this itty bitty amount of skin where my stomach had shrank drastically. And because of that little pooch of skin, I was convinced that I was fat and body dysmorphia is a thing. I would look in the mirror and I still saw that 270 pound version of myself, no matter how skinny I got. And so I, I look back at pictures of me at that point and I'm like, oh my God, I was withering away and I thought I was so fat. And now I've gained back a good amount of weight um, because of all the things I've went through and my relationship with food. 
And so it's just crazy to look at those pictures of me and think, Jesus, if I had only realized like how you know deep in this I was and how bad I looked, maybe, I don't know. It, it, it was a hot mess. Um, I definitely want to get smaller, but I don't, I don't think I want to be that small again because when I look at like the videos of me, I kind of, I like my face a little fuller now, but I don't know. It, it was, it was bad. It was really bad. I was, I was definitely obsessed with losing weight and the scale and how much food I was putting in my body. And it was consuming my every thought everywhere I went, like people would invite me to things and like celebrations, even like on my birthday, I remember two years in a row on my birthday, I was like, don't get me cake. I don't want no cake. I was so tiny. I could have used a couple pieces of cake, you know, and I, w- I refused to eat cake. So give me a little broccoli with cheese. That's my cake. Happy birthday. Honestly, it, it's, it's not okay. I mean, a lot of people go through it. So I'm happy we're talking about it because I don't want people to feel like they're alone. Um, but at the same time, if you're struggling with these type of things, either seek help or talk to somebody about it. Um, but please don't starve yourself. It's not good. And you hurt yourself more in the long run. And if you have a problem with binging, try to train yourself out of that because that's also not health- healthy at all. But um, yeah. That was a really, really good topic. And I think that it also plays into, you know, people that have or that struggle with mental health issues as well, because I I personally believe that when people struggle with like eating disorders and stuff like that, it's a chemical imbalance. That's, a, I, that's a mental health issue in its own. Absolutely. Because it's, it's definitely, I don't want to say it's not normal, but like we shouldn't think like that, you it, know? Well, when I say normal, I don't mean like it's okay. But it's common. I think that's the word I should say. It's very common. It right. shouldn't be normalized. So if I don't want my words to be mistaken, it's not normal. It shouldn't be normal. But it's very common, unfortunately. So. And I think, too, um, it also plays into, I don't even know if I can say, like, confident. Because, like, before I was pregnant, I felt very, very confident. Yeah, you, know you did. I- you were you were very tiny. You were filling yourself. And now because you've gained pregnancy weight, which is normal, you are I have noticed that you are a little stricter and you're like, okay, I can't eat sugar, I can't do this, which I mean, obviously we should set healthy boundaries, but just you you have to really focus on not slipping into that like state of obsession because that's not healthy and it, it can't consume us. Like you look great. You look fucking fantastic. Thank you, friend. And, but no matter how many times I tell you that, or all the people on TikTok tell you that you're not going to fill that entirely until you fill it within. Right. So it's like, it definitely does play into your mental health. It does play into your confidence. Um, but I can say this at my skinniest, I still wasn't as confident as I have been. I feel like even when I was at my biggest, I had more confidence than I did when I was that tiny. Um, But confidence is like we talked about it before. I feel like overall we're pretty confident people, but I feel like confidence is a daily struggle and 
like today I feel I feel cute and gorgeous today. I'm not gonna lie to you, friend. I feel like a bad bitch. But <laughs> yesterday I did not. I was like, ew, who is this fucking ogre? <laughs> Somebody call fucking the swamp. Shrek needs to go home. But um today I woke up and I was like, you know what, you're a bad bitch, okay? And here we are. You know what I'm saying, bitch? I do. I fucking do. <laughs> Fresh, should we take a break and come back? I think so, yeah. Okay, okay we're going to go on a little break. So, toodles. Toodles. Tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Hey, little biscuits, we're We're back. back. (laughs) (laughs) That was hilarious. Well, um, let's see. So we talked about eating disorders and... um, since we're on the topic of health-related issues, I wanted to open up about my past with a – I had a rare blood disease called paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria, PNH for short. Um, it is a one-in-a-million blood disease. Uh, so basically, your bone marrow – it produces all of your cells, your white blood cells, which fights off like viruses and whatnot. And then your red blood cells, which has your oxygen and keeps you alive. And then you have your platelets. Anyways, your red blood cells, they have like a protein marker on them. And for whatever reason, out of the blue, back in 2011, my bone marrow stopped producing protein on my red blood cells. So my white blood cells were eating up my red cells faster than they could reproduce. So essentially I was pissing out blood um, and I was losing all of my energy and oxygen. And so I was very ran down. I was very tired, um, but I noticed signs of it. I noticed, I noticed, (laughs) (laughs) what? I noticed that I was becoming more and more tired all the time. And I was cutting the grass one day and I almost passed out. And at the time I was very heavy. I was at my heaviest. And so I was like, oh, I'm just a fat bitch. And turned out I was a fat bitch, but there was more going on. Um, And so for a while I was like throwing back Tylenols and I was addicted to eating ice. Um, and that is a big sign of anemia. So if you're like very addicted to chewing ice, you probably don't have what I had, but you probably are anemic. So look into that. Um, and then my face went green. 
I had no color in my lips. And I remember people started pointing that out to me. I remember this one girl was like, oh my God, Camo, how do you get your lips so pale? Like you could pull off any color of lipstick. And I had never like thought about it. I was like, huh? And looking back at photos like months prior and then to that point in my life, I was two different colors. And I guess it kind of happened gradually, so I didn't notice it as much. I mean, I I knew I was feeling bad, but um, anyways, I went to the doctor because I felt like I was going to pass out all the time. And I came in there. I was like, yeah, I've been having headaches. I've got sensitivity to light. And... I just can barely make it up my stairs without feeling like I'm going to pass out. They did some blood um, samples and came back in like 15 minutes and was like, oh my God, we have to rush you to an actual hospital. I saw I was at my like pediatrician and they were like, we have to rush you to a hospital right now. Your blood count is four. So you're supposed to have a blood count of about 12, somewhere around there, your hemoglobin. It should be about four. I mean, 14, 12, 14 ish. And mine was four. So that's like nothing. I had no energy. And so I was rushed to Children's Hospital of Atlanta, Choa. Shout out to you bitches. Y'all was so cute and gorgeous and good to me for the three and a half years that I was under your care. Um, Miss Rochelle, love you. Hold it down, girl. Um, but I remember. Going there, and I had so many questions. I I had never foreseen myself having some type of health-related issue. And I remember asking this doctor, I was like, Doc, am am I going to die? And he straight up was like, that's a good question. I have never seen my father cry up until that point. And um, they wouldn't let me leave the hospital. Um, they did a lot of tests. There was doctors that didn't even work there trying to figure what I had out because a lot of my levels, like different things were all over the place. And so they were like, we don't want to diagnose you with leukemia because like this doesn't make sense. And that doesn't make sense. And my illness was so rare that they had only seen two other cases of it ever. And so they didn't like that wasn't their go-to thought. Like they weren't thinking, oh, this person has P and H. Um, so <clears throat> I spent several days in the hospital. And then two days later, my mom, I was like, hey, can we go down? They had a, they had a Starbucks at the hospital and I was always been obsessed. So <laughs> I was like, hey, can we go down to the Starbucks and get breakfast and whatnot? And my nurse was like, I don't think that's a good idea. You just don't really have any red blood cells. And I kept pushing for it. And they were like, you know what? You came here okay, even though you're not okay. Like you were functioning. So I guess as long as your mother's with you, you know, we'll let you go down there. So I went down and I started getting very lightheaded. And I, I remember I was like backed up on this countertop. And it was like a movie. I remember my mom was like looking at me and she started like slapping my face and I was like going out of consciousness. And all I, all I remember is Cameron, Cameron, lights went out and it was like in my head. And then next thing I know, I'm on a stretcher. There's alarms going on in the hospital and I'm being rushed on a hallway. I'm like, 
in and out of consciousness and I like see like two seconds of my mom like screaming and crying behind and then all these nurses and then I pass out. I wake up in ICU butt ass naked, no clothing. They ripped all my clothing off of me. They're pumping me with blood and all this shit. And that was one of the scariest moments of my life. And um, I spent a little bit, of, not too long in ICU. They pumped me with blood and got me back to an okay level. And I, I do remember, actually, um, that was kind of a turning point for me and my brother's relationship. I kind of grew up hating my brother, just, you know, sibling rivalry or rivalry. Um, but at that point, I remember him like coming beside me and like crying. And he, like, I was like, oh my God, like my brother cares about me. And like, I don't know, that was something that I really remembered in my brain is that moment being like such a turning point for us. But um, yeah, so I spent several days in the hospital. And then after about a week of them not knowing what was going on, they finally were like, hey, this is what it is. And so from that point forward, I had to get this weekly infusion called Solaris. And bitch, when I tell you God's timing is impeccable, that drug that I was getting was just approved in the US like two weeks before I was diagnosed. And at the time, you can look it up, Solaris was the most expensive drug in the world because it was also used for like other things. But it was $20,000 for a small bag of it. And I had to get like a, a higher dose of it every week. And then eventually you're supposed to be able to go bi-weekly. They tried that regimen out with me and my body wasn't responsive to it. And even with the highest dose, me getting it every week, uh, I was still blood transfusion dependent. So I was getting two or three bags of blood every week for three and a half years. And so during that three and a half years of my life just being spent in a hospital, I was fighting to live a normal life. I, I mean, I was diagnosed when I was in 11th grade. And it was hard because all of my friends were going to work and they were getting jobs. And all I wanted was to be normal and get a job too, which, you know, that situation really hindered my development and like my relationship with responsibilities because once all was said and done and I was finally like able to like have a quote unquote normal life, I, I wasn't set up at a younger age. So I was very late in like the going to work and that type of mindset. Um, but so I spent a few years doing that and then I was basically like a fucking guinea pig for, I was being brought to different hospitals because they had all these like ideas and all these theories that, oh, if we remove his spleen, cause your spleen kind of breaks down, um, a lot of toxins in your body maybe that will help stop killing all his blood cells. Well, removed my spleen, which was the most traumatic experience. I remember waking up after not having a spleen and I woke up screaming at the top of my lungs. I was missing a whole organ out of my body and I felt so weird and it hurt so bad waking Ew, up. Oh my gosh, friend. It was horrible. It was, it was, it was 
Like it was some shit out of a movie. I, I was living a movie, still am. But so that happened. And then I was getting injections so frequently that my veins were exploding pretty much. And oh so I had to get a port, which since y'all can see visuals now, this was where my port was. Hmm. Um, I had this like, it felt like a rubber ball and it was like connected to my heart. And that way they could just stab me right there and give all the um, infusions, blood transfusions that I needed um, going forward. But, of course, nothing can ever be so cute and gorgeous. My port actually broke inside of me one day. And I remember feeling like all these weird flutters in my heart. And I was like, what is going on? And my heart would be racing. Well... We went to the hospital, regularly scheduled programming, and they couldn't get a blood return through the port. So something wasn't connecting. I got an x-ray. The bitch was broke off and inside of my heart. Second time I saw my father cry. And that was so scary. And I remember they put a humongous needle in my leg and some vein that goes to your heart. And they fished it up. And I had had several surgeries at this point. I was on so much Profoval and it couldn't knock me out. I was so used to like getting anesthesia and surgeries that my body was not responsive as it used to be. So I was fully awake watching this shit. It looked like an octopus. I could see the x-ray while it was happening. They fished this thing out of my heart. It felt like an alien was inside of me. And I could see them like, they were like trying to grab it out of my heart with these like claw things. This is making me very, very lightheaded. I'm so sorry. Oh friend. my gosh, friend. I'm sorry for anyone oh who's my got gosh. a weak stomach. My friends, a lot of friends would go with me to the hospital and they couldn't handle it. Like uh -huh. Orion was a real one. She was going to the hospital with me almost every week, but oh my gosh, she couldn't handle it. I had one friend actually pass out oh my um, when he went with me because of the shit he saw. <laughs> but um yeah, they fished it out of me. I watched it happen on the screen and it felt so weird when it was like being pulled down out of my leg. And anyways, um, from that point forward, they removed my port and we went back to just doing the veins. Um, but anyways, um, fast forward, the Solaris was not working. They also put me on all these um, immunosuppressants. And they put me on steroids. They put me on prednisone, and I blew the fuck up. I look like a moon pie. <laughs> that, that don't do steroids, y'all. You will you you might not necessarily gain much weight, but it will make you look like a puffer fish. And I was going around looking like a motherfucking little Debbie turning to Big Deborah. <laughs> it, it it was not cute and gorgeous at all, and none of that worked. And so then the Solaris stopped working, and my illness advanced to also aplastic anemia um so i had a lot going on basically my body shut down on me and stopped producing cells altogether and the doctors were like you know what cam we don't know how much time you have left and conversations had to be made arrangements and i was preparing to leave and i had two options I could attempt a bone marrow transplant, which is very risky and um, a lot of times fatal, or I could just live out my last few months that I potentially had. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to die either way, so let me take this chance. And for a few months, 
they searched in all these registries for bone marrow um, don't, uh, matches for me. Didn't have any. Um, my brother and my father were not perfect matches or even close to being a perfect match. So um, that was very difficult. But after months of searching, they found a... Um, so they started doing stem cell transplants, which is like blood from a mother's umbilical cord. It was, it's, it's kind of like, it's not new anymore, but it's newer technology, not technology, but newer um, procedures. And so essentially that saved my life was somebody's umbilical, umbilical cord. Um, it was like almost a perfect match for me. And um, I, my hospital, CHOA, they were not comfortable doing that procedure on me, a bone marrow transplant, because they had only had, they'd only done one other transplant on somebody who had what I had, PNH. And fortunately for that person, they had a twin and their twin was a perfect match. Um, and the other girl that was going to the hospital, like I was, she was um, successfully responsive to the Solaris. So she didn't need a transplant, but I was like on my last limb. And so got that. And then my doctors kind of put me in this like forum, doctor forum. And by the grace of God, God's timing once again came through that same week. They sent out the message, hey, we have this patient. This is what's going on. That same week, a doctor in North Carolina um, messaged and was like, hey, we feel comfortable working on him. So I went to North Carolina, Duke University, uh, Duke Hospital, and they saved my life. Um, it was months of going to all these seminars and I had to listen to hours of people tell me, okay, well, this can save your life, but you might die. And if you do survive it down the road, you're going to have this mental issue. You're going to have this health issue. You're going to have that blah, 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 this blah, 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 blah. Um, but overall I'm here and I'm alive now, but, um, I had to be in quarantine before quarantine was really a thing. And I was in a bone marrow transplant unit and I was stuck in there for months. I could not leave the wing of the, the hospital. And if anyone came to visit me, they couldn't have even a sniffle because when you have had a bone marrow transplant, chemo, radiation and all that, you have no immune system. So a common cold would have killed me. And so you would have to come in, put these booties on your shoes, like these little wraps over your shoes. You had to sanitize your hands and wear a mask. And that went on. I was in the hospital, I think, from October to February um, of 2014. Oh, October 2014 to February 2015. And then I spent a few months in the Ronald McDonald House in North Carolina. Great people. Beautiful people. They would make the most amazing meals every night. And all these other people would come and bring delicious brownies and cupcakes and girl, I was eating good. And they were just really good people, but I had to like stay in quarantine in that room there. But it was like kind of exposing me to like a little more germs out in, in the world. And then after they sent me home in like the springtime of 2015, I was supposed to spend a whole year isolated at my house. I didn't follow the rules. Um, by the grace of God, I survived because um, one of my friends that I met there um, 
who also didn't have what I had, but had a bone marrow transplant for another reason. He went out in public and died because of it. Um, so I was very fortunate to make it out of that time. Um, but because of that, I now have a huge problem with overthinking every little thing that goes on with me. Like I'm a major hypochondriac and so are you. And so that's another thing we were late on is always being in fear of our health. But I don't regret going through those things. And I'm very thankful that I did because it changed so much for me. I, I, I remember prior to being ill, I was kind of very negative. Um, and then that like woke me up and I'm like, you know what? I might only have a few years left on earth. Why do I want to spend it being miserable? And so from that point forward, I was very positive. I was coming to the hospital with a smile on my face and they'd be like, how are you like so pippy? Like, how are you so like, okay, you're going through something so traumatic. And I'm like, I'm alive. I got all my limbs. I'm breathing. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but you know, I'm still here. And I really manifestation is big. I manifested a lot. And my mindset was, I'm going to recover. I'm going to get through this. And I did. And I prevailed. And in that time, I did get closer to God. I learned a lot about spirituality. And I remember one time while I was in the hospital um, at Duke, I prayed because my numbers were like certain numbers. I don't, I don't remember at this point, but certain levels were very low and my doctors were like, okay, well, we really need this to uh, go up so that your transplant can graph in your body. And it was not working. And so I prayed all night. I was like, God, whoever's listening to me, please let all my numbers go up. The next morning, the doctors came in. Okay. We don't know what's going on. All your numbers are up and this is bad. Some of it's good. Some of it's bad. And then my stepmother her pastor actually drove up from Georgia to North Carolina. And that day he was like, you have to be very specific when you pray. And so I took that advice. And that's also key with manifestation. You have to be very specific. And so I prayed that the numbers they didn't need to go up would go back down. And the numbers that needed to stay elevated would stay up. Next morning, the motherfuckers came in. We don't know what's going on. We've never seen this. This is crazy. Your numbers are perfect. And that point forward, I was like, you know what? I can do anything. If I believe, if I, if I have faith, I can get through anything. And from that point forward, I've kept that in the back of my mind. So moral of the story is if you're going through something tragic like that, you have to set yourself up for success with a positive mindset. Yeah, the cards I was dealt, tragic, shit. But I'm alive, I'm breathing, I have all my limbs. There's so much to be grateful for. And when you put that energy out there, you're attracting more energy like that. And I was hell-bent and determined to recover. And I did. And here I am. Now I've been in recovery or remission for, that was 2014. What, six years? That's a, Seven that's a years. a long time. Seven Brian. years. Wow. Yeah. So um, 
that was kind of my health experience. I think we should go on another break because that was pretty long. <laughs> but when we get back, we'll be back. I don't know. We'll be back. Yes. Toodles. <laughs> hey, little biscuits. We're back and we're better. And <laughs> before we took a break, um, Camo was – you explained a lot, friend. And yeah. I'm very glad that you finally got to open up about it because I know a lot of people ask you um, what P&H is. I actually just took it out of my bio the other day. It's been in my bio ever since. And it's something I'm very proud of. Um, and but you should, as you should be. It's – I don't know. I – I started having anxiety about it and I was like, oh my God, people are going to think that I'm just like, that's my only personality trait. But I shouldn't think like that. I went through something very traumatic that nobody else I know has ever went through. And I am proud that I survived it. And I, I think the general message that we want you guys to understand is everybody has their shit. Everybody is going through something. Some people are very vocal about the things they're going through. And some people are a bit of a recluse and they don't share uh, what they're going through. And so just it's a good rule of thumb to just with everybody you meet, just think of it like they are or just keep it in mind that they probably are going through something traumatic whether they seem all put together or not. And we've both been through things that a lot of people can relate to. And yeah, like, you know, you, you went to prison. Like you said, I, I was in my own prison. Period. And, and I, I feel like too, a lot of people, when you talk about things over and over again, or you're sharing your experience, they're like, okay, why do you keep talking about it? But there's reasons why we go through things in life. And I yeah. really feel like God puts certain people in certain places at the right time so that we can be a voice for other people. Like years ago, we'd never look and be like, oh, we're going to be talking about this on a podcast or, hey, I'm going to be making TikToks and explaining why I went to prison or, you know, whatever the case may be. And now we're we're like living testimonies of your past doesn't define you, you know? So yeah. define you. I said, define you. <laughs> but I meant define you, so. <laughs> I, I think it's hard to relate to a lot of people um, because uh, I'm sure you're the only friend of yours that, or you, you're the only one in your like group of friends that has ever really been to prison. And I'm the only one that I know that's ever been through something health related as traumatic as I did. And so it's easy for people to be like, oh my God, here Tasia goes talking about prison. Here Camo goes <laughs> talking about his past health issue. But like, now we're finally really talking about it, no interruptions, and it feels so therapeutic. I love where we are in this podcast. Every episode, I feel like we're just really opening closing, up, yeah, opening yeah. up and closing these wounds once and for all. And I feel <clears throat> like such a pressure off my chest, like us talking about these issues, these health-related issues, our anxieties, our troubled past, and letting people know, like, it really isn't always so cute and gorgeous, but your mindset is very powerful. So just be kind to yourself, your body, your mind. Be kind to other people because they are all going through something. And that's really the message I want everyone to pick up on from this episode. 
And that being said, I also want to say this because I've experienced this over the past two days um, on our podcast reviews. We we did get one negative review and then I posted a picture of Greenlee and I on my Instagram and I was explaining, you know, tune into this week's episode. Um, You know, I'm opening up about trigger warning, sexual assault, Mm -hmm. um, and I finally feel free. And there was actually, it's like a, it looks like a fake account. And the account had literally said, and this is what happens when you're speaking your truth and you finally feel good about something and people will try to kind of bring you down. And Mm -hmm. that's the main goal of people in this world. And so I'm, this is important for me to say that when I posted that and I felt very confident posting that picture and, and posting that caption and talking about sexual assault in last week's episode, somebody had the the audacity to literally comment on that picture and say, basically, how am I going to pretend like I've been through drug addiction when all I've done is pop an Adderall and I want to go to NA and talk about this long drug addiction over the past years and it just doesn't add up. And I'm sitting here thinking, if only you knew, if only you knew, but I started getting in trouble at 17. I'm, I just turned 23. Um, I got in trouble so close together that it's hard for me to even, catch up. Does that make sense? I mean, it happened so fast, but the audacity of somebody to tell you about you and your life and your experiences, and they don't know, and they have no idea. So be confident in yourself, but also watch out for the people around you because you can be confident in yourself and share your story. And nobody, not, that does not mean that everybody's going to understand. And that doesn't matter because what I've been through is what I've been through. What you've been through is what you've been through. And nobody can tell you otherwise. Well, I I remember when I was (laughs) actively going through this, people at my school had the audacity to, um, tell me that I was doing it all for attention and making it all up. Bitch, I had photos of me with blood bags connected to my arm. I had so much proof. I can't, like people, they don't understand when they're not going through things. And that was like, you know, that also was a big part of my frustration in high school and a big um, reason I was getting into a lot of, of beef with people because people always doubted everything I did always were like testing my character and that's so annoying because I don't want to speak for you but I know firsthand like watching you spiral out of control there was so many times Tasia that I was convinced that I was going to lose you and that was something so hard for me to watch and so for anyone who wants to make some snarky ass comment like Oh, you just popped an Adderall, baby. You have no fucking idea. You have no idea what was going on because you were going through it. And you have overcame so much and made a 180. And no one can ever take that from you, Tasia. So shut the fuck up. Mind your motherfucking business. And don't speak on shit you don't know anything about. (laughs) Be kind to people, okay? You're clearly miserable. (laughs) Period muffins. Well... On that note, <laughs> I think we should wrap this episode up. I'm excited for next week's. Um, yeah, this we're recording like two weeks uh, ahead. ahead yeah. So the episode y'all are about to get. Well, anyways, let me shut up. It, it, it makes sense in my head, but <sighs> thanks for tuning in, you guys. Thank you, guys. We, we love, love you. you. Bye. Toodles. Toodles. Toodles.